Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey. I am starting off um, with three possibilities. And let me give you um, those possibilities. One is potential contradiction. Potential contradiction. The other possibility could be new discoveries, new discoveries. And the third possibility could be the missing piece. The missing piece. And options two and three sound very similar. New discoveries and the missing piece. I just want to explain that right quick. New, um, the missing piece is something that was understood all along, but just wasn't included. And I'm going to tell you more about that in a second. But new discoveries means this was not understood. So they sound similar, but they're different. New discoveries would mean there's something that I'm potentially discovering that I. I'm saying that I did not see before. And the missing piece is something I saw already, but I didn't factor in. And the first one was potential contradictions. And all of this relates to this continued conversation I'm having about um, envisioning the life that I want. And I think this is partially due to me being on travels, uh, you have to go back to the last two episodes to get that. Me being on the travels, um, um, being on vacation, because I haven't really put it in the context of vacation, but like I don't have the job competing for my brain space. And then the closing out the year is just something I do in general. Um, I do believe that there is an episode that I'm going to do. I have three more after this one. I have three days and three more episodes to do. And I do want to do one on trauma because every time I take this trip with this configuration um, in terms of where I'm at and with the people I'm with, I'm I'm confronted with both trauma and healing. And um, so I've had some thinking around that. And I do want to share that with you before I close out the year. But what's big on me right now is this story that I want to write. And only because I've done so much work on learning the world. Those are my degrees and my, my, my occupation. And then in the last 15 years, particularly the last five years, I keep saying 15, the last 20, particularly the last five, I've done a deep dive on the self. So I know the world and I know the self. But now I have to envision how I want those two entities to interact. And I am going to do that by doing a short story under 10,000 words. And every time I think I've worked it out, I confront something new. So this morning I woke up with something new and it's going to feel like a contradiction. I'm not going to say it's going to feel like a contradiction. It does feel like a contradiction to some things I said yesterday and the day before. So I want to warn you, I'm going to be contradicting myself or what it appears to be a contradiction. 
I'm going to go over five minutes. I can see this. It also could be um, something new that I just didn't know. And now I have to factor it in. Or it could, so, you know, or it could be something that I knew and I just didn't put it as one of the puzzle pieces that I talked about yesterday. And I don't know which one it is. But that's what I'm here to do. And it's around my eightness. Around the Enneagram 8. And I'm going to connect it to the INTJ. So that is my starting point. I'm sorry I don't have a single frame to give you. Because we're going to work out something. You're going to watch me do it in real time, okay? If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ-8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, excuse me, politically, I lean into tenets around critical race feminism in my world, in my definition. That simply means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs around power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. This project is unedited and it is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. All right, so I'm going to do a little bit of storytelling. I, and you, I've been doing a lot of storytelling in these last few episodes. I don't like these episodes. I know you guys do. You're here for my personal drama. <laughs> I can't stand it. But because I'm really trying to um, use this project to make meaning of my inner and my outer worlds, it is what it is sometimes. And sometimes I'm making meaning about crap. That I, that's what feels like crap or, or events that feel like crap and I have to work it out. I would rather talk about phenomena and not events, but sometimes I have to talk about events so I can understand phenomena, so I can better understand my inner and my outer worlds. There you go. <laughs> so I have a couple of short stories I want to tell you, and I think that's going to help me situate, trying to get at is, um, am I going to, do I am I dealing with a contradiction? Am I dealing with some potential, some new discoveries, or am I dealing with a missing piece? Something that I knew all along, I just didn't factor it in. So I went bowling with my sister and her family last night, and I have not come back to you and get uh, and have done a follow up. So if you listen to the triangulation episode that I recorded in in October. Um, I had spent the weekend, um, like an extended weekend, with my sister and her family, which includes my nieces um, and um, and her boyfriend did not speak to me. Like, I mean, he didn't, he didn't just not speak to me. He went out of his way to not talk to me. Like, we would be coming in down the hallway together and he would not talk to me so that was a thing but it's not the first time I've experienced some type of conflict with people in my sister's world so in that triangulation episode 
I was I was finally acknowledging the pattern. And it's not like I didn't know the pattern, but I'm very, very protective of my sister. And that protection was just not allowing me to see her in her full humanity. And when you see somebody in their full humanity, you've got to see them as high, moderate, and low. High, average, and low, right? That's what I love about the Enneagram. It's going to tell you who you are when you're high-functioning, who you are when you're low-functioning, and when you're average. And I was sanitizing my sister. I've been sanitizing my sister because that's what I, I'm just, I love her. I'm the big sister. I'm just going to do that. She's just going to be amazing to me. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, and I'm going to continue to do that after now, (laughs) you know, even after I now start acknowledging her averageness, if you will, and her lows. And that's, to me, that's the epitome of love. I can love you unsanitized. I can love you warts and all. How about that? How many people do we have loving us in our uglies, in our shitty? Really? And how many people do we love on in their shitty? And that's tough to say coming from as a survivor and healing from intergenerational trauma. Because we, I've learned part of my healing requires me to stay away from the shitty. Right? But I'm committed to her. And I, but, not but, and I continue to be continue. I continue to be continue. Oh my gosh. I continue to be committed to my healing and wellness. And those ideas are not mutually exclusive. It's not about loving her and allowing myself to be harmed or protecting myself and not loving her. They're both. I'm committed to both. Now that's just the evolved me. And as an INTJ, I have the skills to do it. I mean, anyway, I don't want to get into that rabbit hole, but if you check out that triangulation episode, that's where I'm like, I just, it is, it was probably the most honest reflection I've had about my sister in her fullness and not just the higher her like if you listen to episodes from 2021 it's when I first started like going oh oh my gosh my sister and I have had some bumps I did a couple of episodes there's an episode called sibling rivalry and I did that in uh, somewhere in the first quarter of 2021 and that was hard I felt guilty about that episode and then we did another we just had a couple of bumps in 2021 and I told her I said yo we don't do this but we're doing it more now. And what does that mean? Now, she says she's come up with her own theories. We haven't had a chance to process it. I'm not even sure if it's relevant. But I have had to come to terms with the fact that this thing where we weren't bumping ants, like, I thought that that was the real us. It was the desired us. It was the aspired us. But we were living like, but in the last couple of years, we've not been able to maintain that. So does that mean, and what I think is that she's becoming more of her authentic self and I'm becoming more of my authentic self. And this is an interesting thing. I'm going to linger here for just a second. Oh, I hope I can, because I have some other stuff to talk about, but let me just linger here. My sister and I were raised to be in competition with one another. 
we were actually raised to be in competition. And I was raised to be to take care of her. I was raised to be a second parent because my mom was a single parent. So a lot of second parent responsibilities were put on me. We're five years apart. When she's three and I'm eight, she's eight and I'm 13. That age difference is significant. It's not as significant now. I'm 51 and she's 46. But it was. So I was both her protector and her competitor. And so anyway, there's a whole... I've talked about this in different spaces and uh, across this project. But um, I would say in 2008, my sister and I made a declaration that that competition thing wasn't going to happen anymore. And that was partially due, which I had always attributed to, my uncle passing. So my grandfather passed in 2007, and then my uncle passed in 2008. And it was just something unsettling about that sibling. My grandmother had seven kids. That sibling passing. And that we watched my mother and her siblings kind of wrestle with that. And my sister came to me one day. She said, I don't want that to be us. And I don't know what made her do that because I was having a lot of grief around the fact that my sister was giving, you know, I had nieces that were being born and I didn't have the closest to them that I desired because of the way I had a closest with my, um, my aunts and my uncles. So anyway, we made this declaration and we've been doing, we've been doing fine. I have another theory about what may have inspired that, but I don't want to get into that now. But we were doing fine. And in around 2021, particularly noticeably, we were starting to have bumps. And I think there was some bump, there's some bumpiness that happened around 2019, 2018, but I couldn't see it. And I remember my heart coach asked me about it. I can't remember how she framed it. But I remember a couple of times and she would ease into that topic lightly. And I was very protective. Like, we're not going there. We're not talking about my sister. That's off limits. <laughs> nope. We can talk about every, any other family member. But that one, you can't touch. But the reality is, like I talked about in that civil, uh, sibling rivalry episode, we both come from the intergenerational trauma. We're both trying to heal from that. Now, our relationship to the trauma is different. But we both come from it. How the hell am I going to sanitize? I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. But anyway, <laughs> so in that triangulation episode, it's like me on acknowledging a pattern for the very first time. And... My sister and I had a really good talk about a month ago, a really honest talk around her boyfriend not talking to me. And I'm like, yo, what is it going to, I don't want to spend my holiday, my vacation to come back to your house. And he's doing that. I don't want to do that. So we had a talk. We talked. I felt really good about it. Our energy felt really good. So here I am. I'm in her space. Her boyfriend's here and we've been doing fine. I wanted to come back let you know that he's putting forth the effort. You can definitely see us trying and I'm putting forth the effort and um, I can I think I can see what's underneath that 
that conflict is very well um, present. And I don't really want to spend time unpacking that right now. I actually want to have a conversation with him, a one-on-one. I'm going to do that before I leave. I got about 10 more days left, if you will. And I know that's a long time to be in somebody's house in this way. But but nonetheless, we're going to have a talk. And, um, and then I'll come back and unpack that. Because I need to collect some more data before. Because I got a theory. But I need some more. This is what I think is different between an INTJ and an INFJ. We will theorize and know and perceive. But that TE requires me to get... To validate that, to, to validate that theory, and collect some additional data. So anyway, if you're an INFJ and you disagree with that, I'm here for it. You can contact me on my website at yourinidom.yourinidom.wordpress.com. I don't know why that's funny to me. Like, yo, hit me up. But anyway, so anyway, so yeah, so anyway, so I'm back in the house, and we were both trying, and I, you know, it's all good. There was, um, I think, I think I told you guys yesterday. There was a small hiccup. I didn't tell you that my sister's boyfriend's friend and my sister's my sister's boyfriend's friend was part of the hiccup. But he was there. I mean, it's just interesting. He it was part of the hiccup, but we got past it. I didn't mention the hiccup. I didn't tell you who were the players. Okay, I'll tell you guys that another time. But anywho. So last night, um, they decided to go to bowling and it, I'm going to sound a little self-absorbed or self-centered for a second. No one really asked me if I wanted to go in, when the plans were being made. So somehow they made these plans. Not only did they not ask me if I wanted to go, they really didn't tell me. I heard them talking about it. Okay, I'm going to sound really childish for a second. I just need to tell you all that for a second. You're going to get the vulnerable um, vulnerable part of the um, INTJ8 in the next couple of minutes. Just want to let you know I can hear it. Just so you know, just be prepared. So they didn't ask me if I wanted to go bowling. And, and they didn't tell me we were going bowling. So I'm, but I heard it. And so when I heard it, I actually thought that maybe that I didn't really fully know the fullness of the plans. And yes, my mother has fussed at me in the past when I have made this distinction. Like nobody told me, nobody asked me, and my mother would fuss at me. You don't need an invitation. You should just jump right in. And um, that's been my mom's rebuttal when I've been left out. And instead of her taking ownership of leaving me out, she puts it back on me like, you don't need an invitation. And, you know, anyway, I got some feelings about that. So that came up for me. Like, so anyway, that was coming up for me. Like, okay, was I supposed to just jump in? And maybe if I was an extrovert and my mom is an extrovert. So maybe to her credit, maybe that's what I should have done in those times when I was left out. I should have just jumped right in and be like, yeah, we're going bowling. You, you, you didn't invite me, but yeah, we're going bowling. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, it wasn't a big deal, right? Just because of the whole Christmas day bump. It wasn't a fiasco. It wasn't a you know, fiasco. It wasn't terrible, but it was a bump. 
I just was like, well, if this is something that they're doing, fine. I don't care. I'm going to stay in my room. I've been spending a lot of time, alone time and decompressing from the job and thinking about 2023 and the stories I want to write. Y'all go bowling. I'm going to be in the room and doing my own thing in my own head. And so um, my sister was like, they were about, they were getting ready. They were about maybe 30 minutes from departing, maybe 45 minutes. And she was like, are you going, sis? And I was like, I wanted to say, go where? You know, like I really wanted to press the point that I wasn't invited, but I didn't do that. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and then I went to the room and like, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. And there were a number of reasons why I didn't want to go. I'll get to that in a minute. Then my niece and my therapist warned me about my niece. Not my niece as a person, but in family systems theory, there are these um, actors and these, um, these scripts that get played out. And she warned me that as I grow to accept my sister as playing a particular part, once I understand that and I confront that and accept that, watch out because my niece could very well step into the place. Homeostasis. And homeostasis is a part of system theory. A system is designed to maintain itself. And so if you've been functioning in a family structure or organ- any structure in a particular role, you don't just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to play, a- I'm going to be a different person in this system. I'm going to play a different part. It won't work like that. I was reading online about looking at people who leave their families. And it seems so harsh. But sometimes you have to do that because that family system will not allow you to resituate yourself in it. It's just not. You guys, I'm so in a rabbit hole. It's ridiculous. I have not begun to talk to you about what I want to talk to you about. But the story is dictating that I give you these details. So... My niece, true to form, I had already accepted. I'm not going. My sister asked me. In the past, I would have been like, oh, my sister wants me to go. I'm going to go. I don't, it's going to make me uncomfortable, but I'm going to go anyway. And yesterday, when my sister said, are you going, sis? I was like, mm. <laughs> then I went to the room like, nope. And and I could have just said no to her instead of you know being passive. I, and I have to process why I did that. Maybe that's me still coming to terms with this different, this shift in me and, and like still learning how to love her and love me at the same time. So maybe that mm, was like a um, placeholder for me to kind of figure out how I'm going to balance that. But anyway, go into the room, make that comment. No, I'm not going. <laughs> not even, I wouldn't even say five, ten minutes at the max. My niece comes in the room, my oldest niece, and says, and she's 22, by the way. And she's like, TT, are you, are you coming bowling with us? And man, my heart melts. <laughs> and true to form, I was like, and she's like, you don't have to come. And then she gets, and so she's going through something. My niece is very sensitive. And, you know, her parents divorced. It's going to take her some time to heal from that. Particularly, there's some tug of war happening in that, and she's you know 
just just struggling with it, trying to make peace. And this Christmas was the first Christmas her dad didn't come around. Um, and go back to the triangulation episode to kind of hear about how we've done Christmas in the past. And so that was hard for her. And then her dad's parents um, usually come and they came, but they didn't stay. They were there if an hour. And my niece was bothered by that. And I'm like, I can just see, though, I can see this is a this is a big deal because my sister's got, you know, this boyfriend and we're all trying to adjust. And and my sister has a right to move on and be happy. It's a really complicated thing, if you ask me. And, and I hope my sister doesn't remind me. And, and I'm not going to give any more of the details. But but there were these changes this year. And so my niece confided into me and just said, you know, who's thinking about us? Talking about the three, the kids. And my, my oldest niece being noticed, she told me two days ago, she said, as the oldest, I feel like I have to speak up for the three of us. Who's looking out? Who Who's checking in with us about these changes? This is, you know, this is something I'm looking forward to spending time with family. My my oldest niece especially is extremely family oriented. And um, she's like, who's looking out for us? And who's asking us how we feel about these changes? And she's right to say that. My sister's right to go on with her life. It's really complicated. So I had all of that in my mind when my sister, my niece was like, are you coming? And then I'm like. Do you want me to come? And first she was like, you don't have to come if you don't want. But you can see it in her eyes. And I said, niece, do you want me to come? Well, I do, but if you don't want to. And so, anyway, I broke down and I went. I told y'all, 30 minutes of storytelling to let you know. I went to bowling last night, even though I didn't really want to go for a number of reasons. And the real, and I know I mentioned this before, it's not even the fact that I didn't get quote unquote factored in when they were making these plans that I didn't um, get invited formally. I think it's because I don't think I know it's because I I'm I can see who I am in that sis in that ecosystem. I can see it. And the bump on Christmas solidified it. And I'm frankly over trying to talk to you about it. And I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to love me. And loving me says you don't put yourself in an ecosystem where you're playing a particular part. I could see it. Okay. But I went. And there were no bumps. But it was like... <laughs> it was like I got... <laughs> this may not be how it went down, but it was like I got relegated to the, the kids' table. Like So they had... We had two lanes. And I was on the lane with the younger kids. So the older... The grown kids were with my sister and her boyfriend. And then I was on the side... With the 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 kids who were who there are three that were not yet eighteen, and that's that's not a big deal because we, we're not we weren't all gonna bowl in the same lane. 
But it wasn't like we weren't even engaging on both sides. It was it was very fascinating to see. It was like my sister had tunnel vision. And so a couple of times I was just like, hey, I just did a strike. Y'all see that? And then I started doing some facetiousness, like giving doing ear fives to the people, <clears throat> to imaginary people, like, hey, you see that strike I just did? I did pretty damn good, although I didn't. I usually have an average. <laughs> I'm not a bowler, but I like to make it to 100. I didn't make it to 100, even though I had more strikes. But I had ridiculous gutter balls. Anyway, so I think I might get on a bowling league. But anyway. So, and I so, okay, so here's the deal. I'm going to, and I'm going to bring closure to this part of the story. And, I, and maybe I have to do a part two because I have not gone into what I wanted to talk about. But that's okay. I have been thinking more so since I've been on vacation the last few days the last week now I've been, I've been gone for a week oh, or yeah I hit the road a week ago but my vacation didn't start till Saturday technically but um, I've been thinking more about when I'm in spaces that are inclusive and affirming and a fit for me this does connect to what I want to talk about and when I'm not and when I'm not in spaces that are inclusive and affirming of of, of me and my authentic space so I am starting to focus on that what is that and like really seeing it like seeing the the striking difference between when I'm in spaces where I'm not that doesn't feel inclusive doesn't feel affirming does not feel like I belong in my natural self juxtaposing that against spaces where I feel like I'm me and the beautiful thing the beautiful thing that has happened in the last two years or the last year and a half is the universe has been showing me that now, it's not that I'm 51 and this is the first time I'm seeing myself in an environment that's inclusive. That's not it. What the universe is showing me is my responsibility to create those spaces, to um, prioritize those spaces, and to validate those spaces. So I had those spaces before. But I didn't know that they were spaces. I didn't know it was a thing to protect until I didn't have those spaces anymore. So this is the interesting thing about me being an, an INDJ8. I automatically created safe spaces for myself at the earlier part. Like once I came out of my mom's house and I started coming out of my mom's house at 17 probably earlier than that but it was 17 when I had a way of being out of my mom's house for an extended period of time I stayed with my my boyfriend's grandmother I slept with her in her room <laughs> I had a club I was close to her whoa that was the first environment that I got to feel affirmed it was a different it was just different it was the first time and I was like oh this is what it's like to be in a family 
Yes, I have to. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, you. Being, I need to come up with another neutral gender term. Which, by the way, I've been making those edits on the book. Anyway, I want to go there. So I, and then I got into my career, and I started building a community around that. The mistake I've made is I've always gone back home because I'm so deeply connected to family. That's been my, should I say Achilles heel? That's been my downside, being so connected to the very entity that's been harmful. That's crappy. And I think that's the hard part of coming from intergenerational trauma because these are people you love and you want to be with. And it's not like they're well, that's the. I'm not going to say that. They love you. They want to be with you. If you guys want to understand this dilemma, you really should like look into the narcissistic family structure. Um, the, there's a book I read called "I I Hate You, Don't Leave Me." That's really not about the narcissistic family, or excuse me, it's not about intergenerational trauma, but it is about somebody who is around you. They they don't like you. They don't like you, but they don't want to be left alone. So they they talk about being in a love relationship with you. But in that love relationship is hate. It's it's really about a and I never know. I bought this book a year, years ago, and I went to look it up last night because that just that title just kept coming up for me, like this hate love thing, and the subtitle is like something about the borderline personality um, disorder. Um, anyway. So anyway, um, I don't even know where I was going with this. But <clears throat> let me just say this point. So I, if I had, I have created spaces for myself where I'm not the person who I am in the family. And the thing is, I wasn't always that person in the family. I want to be really fair. And I also had to come to terms in the last few years. In a, in a, um, in a um, toxic family structure, there are these certain characters, there are certain roles, there are certain scripts and all of that. Because I come from a um, um, multi-generational family, if you will, I don't come from your traditional nuclear nuclear family Nuclear nucleus, whatever. I gotta, I'm, I gotta just go do some more reading because I'm, I'm struggling with my words lately. But I come from this intergenerational space, so the per, the character I would play in, the, like that traditional mom dad sibling role, uh, structure, is different from who I am in the my grandparents, the, my aunts, uncles, cousins, and all that. So in that larger space, I have been the golden child. Yes, I had to come to terms with that. I had to come to terms with that in 2018. I didn't understand it. I had some cousins who were really angry with me. I didn't understand it. And I think when I tried to go back to them and make this case of being scapegoated, of being the scapegoat, they weren't having it. And I couldn't understand why. 
because I had to come to terms with that I was a scapegoat in one family structure, but in the larger family structure, I was treated as the golden child. And then something happened. I don't really know what, there were two, there was a shift. There was a shift around 2007, maybe before then. Oh, it was before then. Let's say around 2004. I got it now. And I was kind of like, I don't know what happened, but there are three possible things that could have happened. But there was a shift. And I stopped being the golden child. And I started pulling myself out of, back from family functions. Like big family events. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm going to pass. Just like I was going to pass on that bowling thing. Nah, I'm going to pass. I didn't pass on all events. But I started passing up, passing. And I had no plan. I didn't have consciousness really. I just like, nope, that doesn't feel right for me. I'm not going to that. So anyway, this is an interesting trip down memory lane. Um, I don't know who's going to be here for that, but okay. Um, <clears throat> and just just fast forward to, to the present day. What I'm realizing is that I've been really paying attention over the past, just in my mind, who I am in my, this person that I have to be when I'm in my sister's space, that's not who I am in the world. That's not who I am in the world, in my occupation, and it's not in the person I am in the world that, I'm cre- that I've created, the social world that I'm creating for myself. And do you guys understand why this feels significant for the story that I want to write as I think about me interacting, me accepting myself as I am? And accepting the world as it is and now knowing that as long as I'm in human form, I have and I have, I have to interact in a social world because I'm a social being. We can't escape that, even those of us who are introverts. We cannot fully escape interacting in the social world. It just is what it is. And this idea that when I'm in a space with the people I love immensely, I can't be the person that I am in that I am in other spaces or let's just say the person I desire and so then you might say you're in I don't why can't you be that and this is what is so funny about um, last night and this trip it's so interesting because I said I was going to come back and do a reflection with you guys on the trauma I think this might be the episode this is probably why I lingered here because I needed to unpack this I'll have to come back and do the other portion later if I can't squeeze it in you one could argue you can why you can be whoever you want to be when you why are you saying you can't be who you want to be or who you are in that environment? Somebody may challenge me on that. And I would welcome that. And here's my pushback. And if you have a counter pushback, I truly am here for it. I truly am. This is about growth, baby. This is not about ego. It's not about pride. This is about real growth. So here's the pushback to why 
is because family systems theory and there is a okay here it is there is a battle there is a battle to being me in this environment it's a fight and this is one of the reasons why I'm a fighter I've been a fighter and I've I remember talking to you guys in 2020. But I called that episode The Uglies. It was the first time I admitted out loud that I come, I have a background of fighting. It was embarrassing. I, was, I had shame and guilt. I'm an educator. How can I talk about having a background of fighting? But that episode, it was so hard for me to keep that episode up. And I, t- I remember when I had to hit the, pu- the publish button, it was so difficult. And I did it, and I said, if a, in a week you can't handle it, you can take it down. But try. I've never deleted that episode. I don't go back and listen to it either, but I know what's in it. And that's where I was talking about physic, physically fighting. And that episode set me free because I never, I don't fight as an initiator. I don't fight now. Anyway, I'm like, I'm too overweight. You know, I'm too old to be fighting. But if someone physically assaulted, assaults me, well, my first reaction now is just to call the police. That's what I'm going to do. If I've already made that decision. But up until a couple of years ago... Someone physically assaulted me. I was going to fight back. Because I come from a world where people think it's okay to do that. And it's not okay. It's not okay at all. But I come from that. And I'm more comfortable talking about it out loud. In my professional circle. And here's why. If nothing else, because I serve kids who come from that kind of environment. And so when we talk about suspending kids for fighting, I never treat that the way other people treat fights. I don't say it's okay. It's a, we have a zero tolerance about fighting. I can get with that. But I'm not. I'm going to treat those fights. I'm going to treat those kids who had to defend themselves. I'm going to treat them with dignity. Because everybody who fights doesn't want to fight. They're not... You're not, no, you're fighting because you're protecting yourself. And how do we have a, co- a country where self-protection is okay by the Second Amendment? Supposedly, right? And then we demean kids when they are assaulted and they don't, aren't, they're not allowed to protect themselves. That's a rabbit hole, but that needs to be said. But nonetheless, I have greater confidence in talking about it because of the episode I released in 2020. Thank you all for being here. For me to work out those things. For real. It's real. So anyway. So I don't want to fight. I slowly started having this realization. As I started healing. And just really starting. Like just in the last. When I hit 40. Like just with that FI maturing. That tertiary FI started maturing. Things started changing for me. And one of the things that started to change for me is like, yo, I don't want to play this part in the family. I don't want to play the part of the angry person. That kind of started in my late 30s. Because in my late 30s, 
I started when there was conflict starting to brew in the family. I make my exit. Because I was like, I got a house to go home to. I'm, I'm, I love y'all. I could feel it. I could feel the tension. You, and I, because I said, you're not going to use me as a scapegoat. And I didn't have the terminology around toxic family systems then. I didn't even, I don't think I had the word scapegoat. But I was like, you're not going to blame me for something that was going to, that's going to happen in this family. Because in my, like around 36, I realized this is going to happen in this family, whether it happens through me or not. I started seeing that that conflict that I was acting out, you know, in defense, that was something about the system. Although I didn't have the maturity to explain it. Although I learned family systems theory um, in like when I was 19 to 20 in college. But I didn't understand family systems theory the way I know it now in terms of trauma. That's okay. Whether I knew it or not, I started making my exit. And I come back the next day. Hey, everybody. They're like, where did you go yesterday? Oh, I just left. You didn't say goodbye? No, sometimes saying goodbye is hard. Because I knew if I would have said goodbye, I would have made this big production. And I wouldn't have been able to leave. So I didn't have to be a part of that. I would make my exit. And just slowly but and slowly but surely, I started maturing. I don't want to be that person. And the person that I have to be in that system. And it's been, it has been, what did I say, 36? Really but I really, really had a consciousness of being different at 40, like just owning it. And I'm 51 now. And I would say that this thing with my sister is probably the last threshold. My sister loves me to pieces, and I don't know what she would do if she heard me talking like this. I think she would, I, I don't think I'm saying anything disparagingly about her. I think she would get it. I think she would. She would get some of it, even if she would deny parts of it. And so here's the thing, because here's what she might say, and I would be in agreement with her. She might say, sis, I love you for being who you are, but I have to be who I am. And she's absolutely right. I can't come into her world asking her to be different. And I saw that last night at the bowling alley. I saw it really, I saw it really Christmas Particularly the next day when I tried to talk to her about the bump, and she defended the event. She was defense. She defended the event that I that I called a bump. Okay. And then I, I saw it again last night, and I love her. This is the world she wants. You like it? I love it. And what did I say at the start of this reflection? I'm not gonna make this an either or. It is not gonna be an either or. I'm gonna love you. And I'm going to love myself. I'm going to figure out what that means. I'm going to figure out what it means. So, does it mean I don't come to down here for the holidays? No, I don't know if that... I'm, I'm not going to say that. <clears throat> I'm really excited about some of the envisioning work that I've started doing, you guys, for 2023. And you guys have heard me struggle between being an employment versus my business I've kind of I've been having some working out some things there and the reason why I'm bringing that up now is because 
some of the breakthroughs and the, the planning, the strategizing that I've been doing over the last few days allow me to even think about resituating my business in a way. It, I'm not going to get into the details, but it really all comes together where I'm going to continue to come down here and then maybe maybe a portion of my business um, can be activated here. So that when I'm down here, I'm not just doing family. I'm working the business. We'll talk about that in another time because I'm, I'm still strategizing. I don't like to share what I'm strategizing. I don't want to share, share that strategy. How about that? So I shared that story about the bowling. I was trying to go somewhere. I went somewhere else. I was trying to go. I wanted to go into the conversation about the INTJ8. And I think it's there. I think the story I share with you still has that uh, uh, the undertone, the undercurrent of the INTJ8. But I was focusing more on the trauma. Let me do two more stories and I'm going to have to come back and do a part two. I guess. I don't want to though. Because usually part two episodes never work out well. They don't work out well. There's only one time they worked out where part two fared better than a part one. <laughs> and what I want to share, I want you guys to get this 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 thing I'm trying to figure out. Is it, what did I say? It's a contradiction. Is it a contradiction? Is it a new discovery or is it a missing piece? Like that's what I want to figure out. I haven't even gotten to that yet. Let me give a, a another quick, two other considerations, storytelling. And I already told these stories, so I don't need to give the details of it. So last year, you know, you guys, um, just all of, all of last year's journey with the job is on recording. And it was tough. And um, for whatever reason, this morning when I woke up, the type 8 in me put last year into better focus. I have to go back and listen to the episodes from from last school year. Because maybe I... Because sometimes I feel like I'm having a discovery and I already discovered it and just forgot. So this might be something that I just have forgotten. But this morning, I woke up. I had an... I was watching something on Hulu. I was watching something on streaming and uh, it was just it resonated with me the thing I was watching resonated with me so to my core that it made me think about other things that have resonated to my core like this and it's a it's, it's a core part of me that I don't acknowledge a lot. I don't acknowledge it a lot. I don't factor it in. I don't strategize for it. I don't know why. And then I started thinking about last year. Through this core thing that I, that, that just was activated. When I was watching this television show. And it's not the first time a television show like this. 
activate. And I'm going to tell you this one. I'm not even going to tell you because I don't. I don't even want to have to make a case for it. But both of the shows deal. There's this intersection of it's the intersection of law, uh, the law, like the law. Ah, both shows deal with the law in some, in some regards. Both shows deal with the law, and it deals with confronting the law, and it deals with going into a battle. And that's a core part of me. And there's something about going into a battle that ignites, it just, it just does something for me. Not because I like a battle. I don't typically like a battle. But it, but if, let me put it this way, the right battle, when I'm fighting for somebody fighting for justice that does something for me and you know I said last year but the year before when I was teaching at the high school and I was in doing union work and I kept and I talked about this before I kept going when you go to this job that's just a job you got to come home and do business and yet there was this union work that in these battles and that we were fighting and it just it just stimulated me. It activated me in a way I couldn't control. I couldn't. It was very. It was the. It was just the first time, and I talked about this before. I'm big on mind over matter, right? I'm an INTJ. Mind over matter, but not when it comes to justice work. Justice work is the only thing I cannot do. Mind over matter. And when I say mind over matter, where I can stick to a plan, I can pick, I can stick to the strategy. And any event that comes up, any event, any emotion, I'm like, whatever, I'm sticking to the plan. And justice work is the only thing that I can't stick to. And I was having a hard time reconciling that. All of this is recorded. This, all of it, all of that was recorded, and that I started recording that in. 2020, 2021. And this morning, it just came into focus. There's a reason why you can't mastermind around justice work. I can't mastermind around it. I can't push justice to the side. I'm like, I'm going to stay the course to this this book that I'm writing. I'm going to stay the course to this organization that I'm building. No, anytime it comes to justice and fighting for justice, that becomes the driving force for me. And it takes over. So it's not any fight. So that way I'm like your your INTJ five. That's not get that's not getting my energy. I think a typical eight might link might go into more battles. I don't go to any I'm not all battles don't have my name on it. And I was reading this morning about INTJ 8-ness. And I was just reading like in these forums. And this one person who's an INTJ said, I don't mind fighting. I just don't fight all battles. Everything is out of life. I can bypass that. That's not mine. That's me all day, every day. But those justice issues, I can't. And not only, not only do I move into them, they just... 
And I don't know if I, I think I've told you guys that initially I went to college to be a lawyer, to be a politician. And I don't think I'm a politician. I do not think, I have never regretted. I think that was a good decision when I realized I'm not a politician. But I have been thinking over the last six months, man, should I have gone to law school? Because law school would have been the perfect outlet for my INTJ eightness. And I'm a writer and I'm a messenger. And I think the kind of messaging and the writing I want to do, that I love doing, is confronting. It's fighting through words. I like that. It's just fighting for justice through words, whether it's written or verbal. Teaching. I love teaching, but it's not just about teaching. It's teaching for justice. Oh my gosh, I'm getting an FI sensation right now. That's it. I did leadership. Yeah. Leadership for justice. Now, what I will say is, if I have to do employment, if I have to do employment, it's just best for me to be in, in, in leadership just because. But really, I'm not I'm not a leader. Let me see, that's not true. I'm not an I'm not an institutional leader. There it is. I'm a leader for justice. <sighs> this is feeling so good. And so last year, I I have a um, there was and I may have told you guys this. There was a uh, a meeting I had with the superintendent, and. There's, this happened several times last year, but this is the time I had a, a distinct memory of it because he called me out on it. And he said, you're upset right now. I was like, no, I'm not. Because I pride myself on being composed. I can, I can put up my... I don't need to tell you. I don't need you to... And it's not even that I thought I was upset. I probably didn't even think I was upset. But I, was, I wanted to take action. And he said, look at your hands. He, told, he showed me what I was doing with my hands. And what I was doing was pressing them together. It was like trying to suppress the energy. Because I wanted to just take, just wanted to move forward and take charge. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Because he could zero in on that. Because I was, I mean, I wasn't the boss. I'm not the superintendent. This is his world. I got that. I don't have a problem with that. And I was just trying to compose myself because it was not, I was not in charge and I respected his position. But all the, while I respected his position, I had a wiring that wanted to take charge. Let me not, no, 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 not take charge, to take action. And I was, and I was either waiting for him to release me to do it or I was going to get out of that room and do what I had to do without him and so what and I didn't have a consciousness that I was doing it but this is what I was doing I was trying to compose myself keep it together until he either released me to take charge or I left that room that meeting and was going to take charge and do it my way and so this morning this just like I said that eight orientation is just clear to me 
And I think the last thing that um, I want to say to storytelling, and I think I've already said it, is that in the Enneagram, you guys have heard me talk about the subtypes, and you've heard me wrestling with their three sub. There's three. There are three instincts, and it's called an instinctual stack. I have had to negotiate, and I really believe I am a social self-preservation first. Excuse me, social self-preservation with the sexual instinct as third for me. Although my heart coach thinks that I might be self-preservation first. And I get why she thinks that. And a lot of INTJ 8s are self-preservation first. Because the self-preservation is more introverted. But my social social self-preservation means I have a desire for the social... To fight for justice in the social world. For people who are at the margins... For people who are don't have access to power, that is my social lens first. It is the thing I do first. And with that self-preservation being second, it just means that I don't do that. I'm not social as in interactive social. I'm social as in analytical social. I analyze the social world. I strategize. That's when I'm myself. And I don't think that I have a desire to I think I don't it's not that I have a desire to fight. But I have a desire. I guess it is a fight to fight for justice. I keep wanting to say I don't have a desire for conflict. But doesn't, if you're going to fight for justice, doesn't that denote conflict? Isn't conflict part of the territory? If you're fighting for something? Because if it was, if there was no conflict involved, it wouldn't be a fight. And in 2016, I believe it was 2016 or maybe 2017 I I'm going to use a, some spiritual language I heard in the spirit or intuitively came to me however you want to slice it um, liberation is not peaceful I heard that clearly liberation is not peaceful and it struck me as, because I think the reality is I don't want the conflict. I don't want it. But that, and I think as I'm saying this, I think I am least concerned about conflict. The higher up the issue of injustice if we're looking at injust, justice and injustice on a spectrum, the higher up you go up for injustice, the least I am concerned about conflict. And the lower the issue of injustice is, then I'm like, ah, I don't want that conflict. So I don't really like the conflict. I don't. But when it comes to fighting for justice, I don't care. So... Those are the three stories I wanted to say. 
this thing I'm realizing about my sister, which may seem like it doesn't fit, but for me, it's like you you can't be in that world. I didn't explain this to you all. Being this is what I need I need to say. Being in my sister's world, no other world now. This is the last world that I'm contending with, where she asked me to not have conflict, to not challenge people, to not get into arguments with people. And I told her, I don't get into arguments with those people. I don't get into arguments with your people. I don't go into conflict with your people. What happens is that I state my truth. And when I'm in my authentic self, your people have a problem with it. And then they come at me and then I respond. And I'm not going to be a sitting duck. That's what I told her. So let me give you an example. I already told you guys, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole. Don't, I'm not going to be in a room where you start talking about poor people. I'm not going to let you degrade poor people at all. Not at all. I'm going to speak up. Now, I'm not going to yell, you idiot. I don't talk like that. What I say is I'm fairly well read. And I'll just provide research, provide some theories. And then people who are set to be oppressive, they don't like that I am defending the poor, particularly when you're talking to black people who have been marginalized. So black people who've been marginalized don't want to be called out on marginalizing other people. They don't want to be called out. No one wants to be called out. White people either, right? You want to be called out. But when I call that out, it's, it's like a violent reaction. And then they double down. They try to double down on their argument about their their position about poor people. And they don't want to call it poor people. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to open that up. And when they double down, as do I. That's the perfect example. I do the same thing for LGBT issues, LGBTQIA issues. The same. And... Really, I do it around religion. When religion is oppressive. The only thing about religion is that in in the last few years, I just have learned to be respectful. Listen, I got family members who are clergy. They're pastors and preachers and ministers and reverends. That's their their thing. And I'm not going to be disrespectful. So when they talk, I remove myself. But I used to be in there full on fire, calling out the contradictions. Talking about how the religion is oppressive. I just remove myself. And so when people double down, I don't I double down and then it gets heated and my sister doesn't like it. And then she blames me for it. And this is what I saw last night, and this is the part that's unfair. And I will talk with her about this at some point. Well, at some point. My sister wants to do therapy with me I actually have suggested it like sis we should do this because this would really help us to get a a better understanding of this intergenerational trauma because we come from the intergenerational trauma where we we occupy different roles in that system and it would be really interesting for us to come and do therapy together to better understand the system which we came from and she's all for it and she's twice said let's do it 
And my heart coach was like, before you go into therapy with her, you need to be very clear what you want to get out of it. And I want to make sure you're ready. I want to make sure you're prepped to go into that. I love my heart coach. She's amazing. She said, we just go, we just need to make sure you're ready. And I couldn't, I didn't have that level of readiness. So I didn't, so I just haven't pursued it, but I believe I'm ready now. I'm ready to do that conversation with her because I'm just curious. What is there about that system of trauma that we came from, that we come from, that I don't fully see because I only know my slice of the experience? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? (laughs) So anyway, so my sister wants me to not be me in those spaces because she doesn't. Now, she does not like conflict, but this is what I'm seeing. While she doesn't like conflict, she likes dominance. It's interesting. She's attracted to dominance. She's definitely attracted to dominant people. And she acts out, acts out dominance in a, diff, in a way that's different than I act out. I do dominance for, to protect other people. She does dominance for the self. Hot damn, that's interesting. That is very interesting. I do dominance in favor and protection of other people. She does it for the self. I wonder if she would agree with that, but I'm I'm prepared to make that a case. So she asked me to stand down for the sake of harmony for her, and I do that, and then I see all of this other dominance, and I'm 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 relegated to the kids' table. I'm relegated, and I just said. I was like, you just can't have it both ways. But as long as I'm in her house, she can control that. I'm I'm going to start closing because I'm going to close here. I'm going to start closing. It's well over an hour. I'm sorry, y'all. This is good for me, though. I, I have regretted that a because of the hardship that I hit, you know, you, you know, I've talked about that. A big chunk of that was in my, you know, my niece's childhood. And I wanted to have, I wanted to experience them. I wanted to still be auntie. I still wanted to be a part of my niece's lives. I didn't have the money to, to travel and get a hotel room. And now I have it. I don't want to spend it. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I spent... My nieces, and this is the thing I regret. I do regret it deeply. They don't know. My oldest niece does. But my other two nieces that are 15 and 16, they're, they don't know me in my, really in my own space. They got a little bit of it. Uh, when I lived in the South and I would come, they came and spent um, a couple weekends with me. But that's it. They only know me in somebody else's space. That's a deep regret that I have. A deep regret. But I chose to have them experience me that way than not experience me at all. Because my sister and I live in different states. So I had to, that was a trade-off. To have that experience with them, I had to be in my sister's house. It is what it is. But it doesn't have to be that moving forward. So, 
I'm going to close here. The question is, is it, an, is, it, is it a contradiction? Is it a new discovery or is it a missing piece? And I think it's all three of those. I really do. And I, when I talk about the contradiction, I'm talking about these pieces that I put on the table. And I'm talking about building my desired light. Because I talked yesterday. That's the episode I did. What did I name it? I cannot think of what that, that episode is called for the life of me. But anyway, um, I can't think of what it's called. Missing Pieces? I don't know what it was called. Anyway, um, the pieces that I put on the table did not address the eight part of me. Not at all. Not at all. Not overtly, at least. I spent a lot of time talking about the business. I talked about location. I talked about bivocationality, if you will. Being bivocational, being bilocational. Um, I talked about uh, being non-traditional in my courtship, like my romantic courtship, and in my friendships. And all of that felt really good. And I talked about once I ended the reflection, I was going to go take a pen to paper. And I mean, and I've been really just been on a roll strategizing. And then I wake up with this issue around the eight. I'm, I mean, I know that I'm working something out because every morning it's like, wait a minute, here's another piece. And I don't know how to factor that in. I, I, initially, I didn't. I don't know how to put it on paper yet. I think I got it. I think I'm, I might have it. I just don't have it on paper yet. How to factor that eight part of my, the eight part of me into my life. And and I am closing, I promise y'all. <laughs> so the INT, I, I, when my dad died and I had all of these people around and I told you guys I was not in my healthy self. I was in my lower self because it was, I got the eight was in front of me. I was an eight INTJ. And I said, when I'm in my healthy self, I'm an INTJ8. And I do believe that. I do believe that. That that 8 cannot be the driver. And then the INTJ is like, Where? she's somewhere back there. Like, I'm not being reasonable. I'm not, I'm not being reasoned. I'm not being um, studied. I'm not being measured. And can you be measured reasonable when you're fighting? That's a good question. I'm, I don't know that. That's what feels like the contradiction. But I'm going to spend some time. But here's what you can do. I cannot put myself in situations that require me to be 8 INTJ. That I can do. I want the 8 in me fighting for justice. Driving that. Giving me the boldness that I need. Giving me the conviction and the drive. The perseverance, the relentlessness. I mean, INTJs are already confident, but that eight is just as another level. But I don't, I don't want to be in a world where I can't be measured, analytical, strategic, right? 
And when I'm in my, un, I'm not in a good space, it's all about survival. I'm in pure instinct mode. <laughs> so anyway, no, no. And so I've done a really, really good job as I, my late thirties, I started like really blossoming. Don't put yourself in environments that require you to fight just to be. To fight just to be. No, that fighting apparatus that you have is for justice. I just worked it out, y'all. Did you hear it? That's who I am. Fighting for justice. And the way I like to do it, I have, a strict, I have a way that I like to fight for justice. There's a way that I like to do it. Now, does that mean it's, I still, I, that I, don't, I don't need to mature more in it? No, I absolutely need to do some more maturing. But, this is a really long reflection and I don't feel like I'm done yet because I don't have that nice little bow. Like, I just worked it out. I don't have it yet. But I think once I hit the stop button, I'm going to continue to think about that. Because it was feeling like a contradiction. The measured strategic me and the person that fights for justice. And this is why I've been studying Dr. Martin Luther King. He's just been on my radar all all radar all of 2022. Dr. Martin Luther King was an 8, y'all. He was a type 8. And this man was known for peace. Yet, he, oh my gosh, I'm getting an FI sensation again. He was a person that fought for peace. And he was a type 8. And peace, fighting for peace is not peaceful. I know that. Fighting for liberation is not peaceful. Yeah, I think I mean, I think I may need to un erase some of these stereotypes about the type eight. That could also be what's going on, which which is why it feels like a contradiction. So I'm going to do some work there. Um, is it a discovery? I think there is still a discovery of how central eight is to me, and it's not like a backdrop. It is central. So it's almost like I need to do it. I need instead of saying I'm an INTJ eight, I need to say I'm an IN eight TJ. <laughs> I'm an IN eight TJ. Put eight smack dead in the middle of it. So that's the discovery. And then is it a piece that I've known all along? I've known it, but I didn't. Fa- I wasn't valuing it. I wasn't prioritizing it. And I think the reason why I didn't prioritize it because I didn't understand how central the eight is to me. I've been treating the eight as though it's a backdrop. I am an INTJ eight. And I know I'm not arguing to be an eight INTJ. Nope. But but that eight is that eight can't be in the backdrop as I envision my second half of life. It cannot be in the backdrop. It just cannot be. And that's what I woke up with this morning. Repositioning the eight. That's what I call this episode. Repositioning the eight. 
because I appreciate you for being here for this. Oh my gosh, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about drama, about family trauma, about fighting, unfortunately, about fighting for justice, about fighting for authenticity, fighting for the self in an unjust world, not just fighting for the self, but fighting for the self to be whole. And I think that's kind of what my sister does really well. She fights for herself. And I don't think I am as prolific or proficient to fighting for myself. I'm getting better at it. And one of the things I do that's different from my sister, I just don't, I fight for myself by not going in certain settings. Listen, if I got to fight for, my, for myself, I don't need to be here. If this environment requires me to fight, this is not an environment I need to be in. And I've got to, I'm having some breakthroughs about that job I have that I really like, but I have, I've got a, I've got a, I'm coming off of my vacation with a level of maturity. Some of that, that, that stuff that I'm doing, some of it, that's not mine. Mm-mm, mm-mm, I have to talk about that another time. So my sister is good at fighting in the moment in and staying in the environment because she, she's getting something out of it. And this is where I'm like the type five. Um, five is in my um, tri-type, if you will. I'm an eight, five, three, I think. But even if I'm not an, if you don't believe in the tri-type, you do know that five is my part of my distant growth path, right? Sometimes I have to drop down to, a, as an eight, I have to drop down to a five as I aspire to be a two. I mean, excuse me, not aspire to be a two, but as I aspire to move into the two. Or to incorporate more of the two side of me as an eight. Wow. I think it's really hard for me to see myself as an eight because I'm, I don't fit the stereotype of an eight. I don't. And I'm so big on challenging people about the stereotype of an INTJ. I am not really contented with the stereotypes of the eight. I'm going to have to do some work on that so I can better position it. But anyway, if this whole conversation, I'm sorry, if the conversation about the eight and the INTJ and the, you know, fighting and trauma and taking care of yourself, if any of this relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it, y'all. I would. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. I'm going to do that glossary on the website. I'm going to be on that website this week um, while I'm on vacation. So, uh, you know, hit me up there, okay? You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. On Twitter, yournidom1. Or Facebook and YouTube at yournidom. Let me give you your assignment. You guys, I'm running out of time. I can only record um, 90 minutes, and I'm really dangerously close to the end, but I need to say something here. As I was thinking about your assignment, I see a pattern of the kind of assignments I give you all, and I want to just let you know I see it. I probably have noticed it before, but I want to confront it. I want people to be their best selves. And I think about another podcast that I listen to. I talk about them often, the husband and wife team. And I think they also promote the being the better self, being your best self. And they do it from the inside out. And I do it by confronting the context. 
most of the questions I ask you is to consider the outer how the outer world is in is prohibiting you from being your best self. Yes, you do need to know about your inside landscape. You absolutely do. But I don't think knowing your inside landscape is enough. We are social beings in a social world. And so I want to just, I, mean, I could just see this as a pattern. I needed to name it. And so my question to you for today is, what do you need to reposition for you to be your best self? What is something that you have in your life, a part of you, and you know you need it? It's a part of you. You respect it. But maybe you have to reposition it. Maybe you need to take it from the back seat and put it up in the front seat. Not, and I'm not saying, and this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying take it from the back seat, put it in the front seat, and whatever was in the front seat, move it to the back. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, and you all know, I don't know if you're old enough, but there used to, cars used to be made where there was a metal seat. Now you have like a console where you can put your cup holder, your gears, and if you drive a stick or whatever. Even if you don't drive a stick, you have these gears and you change, you move it out of park into drive. But... I don't know if they make cars like that anymore, but when I was coming up as a kid, cars used to be where it was a three-seater in the front. And I'm saying, what is it that needs to be brought from the back seat and put up as a third passenger right in the front? Like I'm saying, I-N-E-T-J. I'm still going to say I'm an I-N-E-T-J, eight, y'all. But I want you to know when I say it now, I'm moving that eight up in the front seat because I think I had the eight in the back seat. So there's something about you that you have, you know it's you, but you don't value it. Now, there's some things that should be in the back seat. You need to keep them back there. They are, they are there along for the ride, but they need to be in the back seat. But I'm wondering, I want you to consider, is there something that you have in the back seat that you need to bring up into the front seat with those other front seat passengers? And I'm not talking about cognitive functions. I don't know what it is, but that's what your homework assignment is to consider. Because as long as that thing is in the back seat and it's supposed to be in the front seat, you are not your most authentic self and you are not your best self when you're not authentic. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.